Uh, do you have a Bible with you this morning? I heard like a mumble. Anyone have a Bible this morning? All right. If you have it, turn it on, open it up. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14. Uh, we're going to take a test this morning. So we're going to start off with this test. Some of you don't like tests. Uh, some of you know um, a comedian, a guy named Jeff Foxworthy. He always says uh, these lines, you might be a redneck if. Uh, this morning, let's start with this. You might be religious if. You might be religious if you ever look at someone's church attendance or tithing record and make a judgment call. You might be religious if you've ever been offended because someone took your seat in church or your parking spot at church. You might be religious if you've ever looked at someone that God is using and think that you could do it better. You might be religious if you love religious activities and not people. You might be religious if you believe that you live out your faith better than other people. You might be religious if you downplay someone's passion for Christ because they just became a believer and you've been a Christian for a long time. You might be religious if you think someone is less knowledgeable about Scripture because they choose to read the New International Version and not the King James Version or the English Standard Version. You might be religious if you judge others for not reading the Bible or praying as much or as long as you do. You might be religious if you think others are not as spiritual as you because they sing contemporary praise songs and not hymns or vice versa. You might be religious if you believe that by obeying biblical laws, God is pleased with you and will take you to heaven. You might be religious if you judge others by what they wear, what they drive, how they pray, how they spend their time with God. And last but not least, you might be religious if you are judgmental, hypocritical, and focus on external works of righteousness. Religion is dangerous, and a religious heart is very dangerous. As we go to Luke chapter 14, we see a continued battle between Jesus and religion, between Jesus and religious people. And I believe that the reason we continue to have these accounts in the Gospels is that man is prone to and defaults to religion. And we learn today that religious people never find rest for their soul in their religious works. As we look at Luke chapter 14, the big idea this morning is this, that religious hearts are worn out by imposing rules while righteous hearts find rest in Jesus Christ. Would you look at verse 1 of chapter 14? One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to, see, to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. The word of God. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of the word. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give me the words to speak. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would convict our heart, that you would remind us of your grace, and that you would help us to apply the truths of your word. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice, that you would redeem us from slavery to sin. Father, we bless you in this time. Amen.
So about 30 weeks ago, we were in Luke chapter 6. And in Luke chapter 6, we saw a similar account of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, attacking Jesus for what he was doing on the Sabbath. Just a few weeks back, we were in Luke chapter 11, and we saw again Jesus doing a great work on the Sabbath and the Pharisees attacking him. And so we look today at verses 1 through 4, and the first point is a question is, what is lawful on the Sabbath? It says that on the Sabbath day in verse 1 that the Pharisees, they invite Jesus to go and have a meal with them on the Sabbath. And when you read through the gospel accounts, Jesus goes to many meals. We never see him turning a meal down. And this one in which he's with these religious leaders of the nation of Israel really stands out when we talk about the Sabbath and we talk about mercy and compassion and what is right and what should a person do in regards to the laws of God. Well, he's eating with some people that are religious and they're not converted. And what I would point out to us is that we would pay attention in that Jesus is accused in the Gospels of spending time with sinners. Here he's with religious people who the religious people would say that they're not sinners, but they are just as much of a sinner as those that they accuse Jesus with eating meals with. But what I find interesting, and I pay attention to this, and I would encourage you, if you're a follower of Christ, is that Jesus spends time with lost people. He spends time with the unconverted, and here with the people who are religious. And I believe it's an example for us today, if we are followers of Christ, that we should not neglect to spend time with the lost. Not to the point that the lost affect and impact the way that we live or walk in ways that are glorifying to God, but that we would pay attention to those who are lost around us, those who are religious, that God would open a door that you could share a meal with or a cup of coffee with or spend time with, because in those moments... The Lord just may use that and the work of his Holy Spirit to convict a person's heart as they see Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so Jesus spends time with the lost. He spends time with the religious. And each time he does, though, we always see him teach about the kingdom of God. We always see him teach about the glorious truths of God's word. And here at this event, in these few short verses, we must pay attention to what he is teaching Jesus is is correcting the understanding of the religious leaders of their understanding to the Sabbath. And, And he addresses these religious leaders and laws that they add to the Sabbath. I think that many of us don't clearly understand the Sabbath. The Sabbath day and also circumcision were two uh, important factors that gave the nation of Israel their identity. God gave the Sabbath to his people. God called the nation of Israel to circumcision. These things to set them apart. The Sabbath day was a day in which it was started at sunset on Friday and it ended at sunset on Saturday. I can remember when I was in college and playing basketball at the school that I was attending, we went and played a university and they could not play on the Sabbath day. And so on Saturday, we were waiting for the sun to set so that team could come out of the locker room and could play. And we were waiting. The referees were there and we were waiting and waiting. And as soon as that sun set, then they came out and we could play so that they would not be breaking the Sabbath. But did you know that keeping the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. 
You think about it for a minute. You think through the Ten Commandments. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. Think about the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses that he wrote with his finger so that it was for the nation of Israel to be uh, obedient to God and worshiping him. In Exodus chapter 20, though, when you read the Ten Commandments, what is fascinating is most of the commandments are a short sentence. But when you come to the fourth commandment, the commandment of keeping the Sabbath, there are a few sentences. It is a larger description of what God gives and something very important for the nation of Israel and for the people of God to pay attention to today. Look at verse 8 through 11 of Exodus 20. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, God is very serious about his commands, and especially the Sabbath, because when you get to Exodus 31, he lays out his seriousness to the nation of Israel and says, hey, if you do not obey the Sabbath, you can be put to death. And you go, come on. Put to death for not keeping the Sabbath? Well, again, when you read what we just read, God covers all the people in the household, all the people who are living there, the slaves that may have been in a part, the sojourner that visited, even the animals. There was to be this Sabbath day, no work. It was to be kept holy, and it was this picture of resting in God and worshiping Him on that day. But God makes it a great place of honor in the sense of saying, if you break this commandment, you could be put to death. Now, the problem, though, when you come to this dinner where Jesus is at with the Pharisees in Luke 14 is you have God's laws, but you also have laws which the Pharisees, the religious leaders who are the leaders of the nation of Israel to worship God, they've imposed all kinds of laws on top of God's law, and they've been putting a burden on the people. So no one, in a sense, could ever keep the Sabbath the way that the Pharisees want. And if you look to today, even how some would keep the Sabbath, some of the laws that they would impose would be this. Even today, you cannot turn on a light switch off or on on the Sabbath day. So you have to make sure it's on or off before the Sabbath day begins. Your food has to be cooked before the Sabbath day and kept warm. You cannot turn on the oven. You cannot put wood in the stove. You cannot cook on that day. It would have been forbidden or be forbidden in a sense to, uh, if you have a dislocated foot or a dislocated shoulder, to put it back in place because that was work. If your roof fell down in the house because the snow was so heavy, you couldn't fix it. You could prop it up, but you couldn't fix it that day. I mean, imagine if you ended up going to the emergency room on the Sabbath day and they said, sorry, we're closed today. We cannot help you. We can't perform surgery. We can't do this because it's the Sabbath day. Or your child coming to you in the sense of saying, oh, I cut my hand. I need a Band-Aid. No, I can't do a Band-Aid because it's the Sabbath day. 
I know that some of those things may sound ridiculous, but this is to the level which Jesus is addressing and correcting the religious leaders that they have imposed things on top of the Sabbath, which affect Jesus as he is healing this man and um, this interaction between them on the Sabbath. Look at verse one. He goes to eat with them. And what does it say that the people, the religious leaders were doing at the end of verse one? What's it say? They what? They watched him. How? Carefully. Closely. What's amazing when you read through the Gospel of Luke, the Pharisees are always showing up. Like this week I was reading, I was like, wait, he's in the wilderness. Are they following him? Why are they showing up out in the wilderness and not over at the synagogue or there in their town? You see, the Pharisees were constantly following Jesus. They were always showing up and they were watching him carefully to see if he would do anything wrong. I wonder if that meal, if they were like, is he going to wash his hands the right way? There's a man here that's sick. I mean, we've already seen in Luke 11 and Luke chapter 6 and these things where they're upset when he heals, especially on the Sabbath. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's four different accounts when he heals someone on the Sabbath. And in each of those cases, he uses it to teach these religious leaders about how to observe the Sabbath. But they're watching him closely. The wonderful thing, though, is Jesus never does anything that is wrong or sinful. He never breaks God's laws. The Pharisees can never capture him in something to the point that the night that he's arrested and they have this illegal trial, they have to bring in false witnesses who would lie about Jesus because they have nothing on him. And the wonderful truth that we see here in this is that Jesus never sinned. I mean, think about this. How easy is it for you to lose your patience? You ever lost your patience before? Any of you lost your patience this week? At work, school, with family? Some of you lost your patience because someone was going too slow today because they were trying to be safe driving on the ice, right? I find that many times I can lose my patience real quickly. And yet when I read this, I'm like, Jesus is calm. And like every account when I was reading, when they attack him, he's calm. Yeah, he, as we saw back in chapter 11, he calls them out. He calls them hypocrites. We've seen that times of Jesus' righteous anger, but he never sins. And he's patient here. And he gives an answer, even though these guys, as they're watching him carefully, they refuse to answer his questions. He could have just blown up. And I was reminded this week in John chapter 1, in verse 29, John the Baptist, he sees Jesus and he says, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. To think about the fact that Jesus Christ is the spotless Lamb of God. Jesus Christ, He walked the earth here. He lived and He never sinned. I mean, think about that. As a child, He never sinned. He never broke God's laws. He does not explode and lose His patience here. And it would be a reminder for us if we call ourselves a Christian, a follower of Christ today, that Satan watches us, the enemy watches us, the world watches us and is waiting for us to lose our patience. The world is waiting for you to do something sinful and to break God's law so they can call you a hypocrite. But here's a wonderful truth for the believer. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. 
in verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, Jesus never sinned because Jesus is God. And Jesus Christ resides in the hearts of believers. Therefore, we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit today, live and walk in ways in holiness and righteousness. And we can control our anger only by God's power in us, that he can make us patient in our hearts, that he can cause us to be people of holiness and righteousness because he does all that work and we should rejoice that Christ, the hope of glory, resides in us. I was reading in the book of Acts this week. And in Acts chapter 4, the apostles, the disciples, are described in this way. When the people saw them, they said, those men have been with Jesus. Does the world look at us and say, he's been with Jesus, she's been with Jesus? In a moment here where Jesus is with these Pharisees and they're watching him, the world is watching you if you're a Christian. Do they say, like the the apostles, he or she has been with Jesus? I pray that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live that way so that the world would see Christ in us. Look back at the text here in verse 2. There's a man who's there and it says that he has dropsy or something that we would maybe title today as edema. This abnormal accumulation of fluid in the body cavities or in the tissues. And so a person may have swelling in their skin or puffiness that it could be a symptom from congestive heart failure. But whatever it may be in that man in that moment, it was serious And I wonder if the Pharisees said, hey, we're going to plan to bring this guy in. It doesn't say that, but we do see the Pharisees trying to plot against Jesus. But they're taking note that there's a man here. And Jesus, in one way, does a work differently than he's done in some of the accounts we've already read. In the other accounts, he just heals the people. And the people rejoice, like the woman that was crippled over that we saw. But here, he asks the religious leaders a question first. Then he heals the man. Look at verse 3. Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees. Does it say they asked asked Jesus a question? Do we have a record here that the Pharisees asked Jesus a question? No. He responds to them. And I would remind you back to chapter 11 and verse 17. There he knew their thoughts and responded. Here the same type of response we see that Jesus knows what they're thinking and he responds to them. And what that means for us when we read this, it points to Jesus' deity. It shows us that Jesus is God. Turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. One of many passages throughout the word of God that describes our God. The God who has created us. Here's what it says as King David says to his son Solomon in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 verse 9. He says, and you Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. And so to think about Jesus' response here or where we've seen him in other places, that the word of God points out that Jesus 
is God because he knows the thoughts of everyone. That Jesus knows your thoughts before you even think them is astounding. It only points to and proves and adds to as we read the word of God that Jesus, the Messiah, is God Almighty. And so when I read this in verse 3 of the text here today, it says he responded to the lawyers and Pharisees. He's responding to what they're thinking in their hearts. And he says to them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Again, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's seven accounts on the Sabbath day where Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath. And each time he's teaching them uh, about the Sabbath law. But the Sabbath law has obviously, as we've been reading, becomes this almost this point of hatred by the religious leaders and what Jesus is doing. Again, trying to trap him and seeing what he's doing. And they attack him constantly of what he's doing on the Sabbath day. And Jesus says, is it wrong to heal someone? Is showing mercy to someone on the Sabbath day, does it violate God's law to observe the Sabbath? Or is mercy to be given, compassion to be shown every single day of the week? If you go read in Mark chapter 2, Jesus is attacked and his disciples are attacked because they're picking some grain on the Sabbath. And so he has this interchange and he corrects them there at that. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus said to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, Jesus is teaching these religious leaders that the Sabbath was given by God to man as a blessing. The Sabbath day is a good thing. It's a wonderful, glorious thing of God providing a day of rest for his people. And he addresses these leaders who have added to this, have put such restrictions that to them they cannot even answer a right way to Jesus. These guys are experts. They have memorized the law. They know it by the back, like the back of their hand. And yet, what is their answer to Jesus? Verse 4. They don't have one. They're silent. And what Jesus is trying to teach them is that there should always be the people of God, a response, even on the Sabbath day, to show kindness, to show mercy, to show compassion. In Micah chapter 6, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, the prophet writes, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, And to walk humbly with your God. And this is not something that you only do six days of the week. You do it on the Sabbath as well. As you rest in God, as you worship Him, you also are called to show mercy and to show love and compassion to other people. So he says, is it right right to heal on the Sabbath or not? We would probably, you'd probably respond and say, of course you should heal Jesus. But the religious leaders says verse 4, but they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. 
You see, for, the, for these religious guys, his question is unanswerable because they answer one way or the other. They're going to condemn themselves. If they say it's not lawful to heal on the Sabbath, then they're being unmerciful to other people. And they're going against God's word and God's law, which we'll see here in a minute, in which you are to show mercy and you are to show love to others. But if they say that it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath, then in a sense, all their extra laws are wrong and to be thrown out. Their problem is that they are religious. Their problem is that they have invested their lives and their hearts in religion. And religion is always about things that can be tested and measured. From theological correctness to a fulfillment of legal requirements, whatever checklist you think that God puts up, ultimately religion is about works. Religion is about works that a person thinks that helps them get closer to God. Religion is about works and good things that people do so that they can somehow make it to heaven. Religion is man-made. And I believe it's a default of our hearts. I mean, think about this. These religious leaders who are supposed to be leading the nation to worship God were willing to let this man go another 24 hours without healing because it was a Sabbath day. You think, man, that's horrible. That's ridiculous. But it's religion. And it's something that you and I should pay attention to and ask the question, how religious is my heart? Or am I pursuing religion and I need to pursue Jesus Christ? They remain silent. They don't answer him. So Jesus heals the man and sends him on his way. And so Jesus then takes this moment to now correct them. Look at verses 5 and 6. The second point is to show mercy on the Sabbath. He now points to the word of God and he quotes the word of God to the people that were supposed to be leading them in obeying God's word. And he teaches them that they need to show mercy on the Sabbath and it is a right and good thing to do. Verse 5. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And again, what's their response in verse six? What they do in verse six? They're silent. Now, these are experts. They know the law. Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 5, says that he, the Son of Man, Jesus himself, is the Lord of the Sabbath. So what he's saying is, I am the only one can give you this interpretation of God's word because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the one who's provided the Sabbath. I am the word of God. I am the truth. And so I am going to correct you, Pharisees, and tell you now what is right to do on the Sabbath or not. So Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 22. He's quoting from Leviticus chapter 19 in which the law says to show love to other people, your neighbor specifically. And the way you show love to your neighbor, it says if your ox or donkey falls in a well, they had lots of wells in the area. If it falls in, it says to show that neighbor love is to bring that ox or that donkey out And so he's quoting the laws back to them and therefore saying, hey, it is right on the Sabbath to rescue your neighbor's animal. But the religious people are like, we got got a neighbor. I got three more hours till sunset. You will get your donkey out then. 
Oh, your son's in there drowning. Hey, tread water a little bit longer. Sunset's almost over. I mean, we think that's ridiculous, right? We'd be like, no, I'm jumping in. I'm going to help that person. But this is a sense to give you of where the religious leaders are, of what they have placed in importance and the way they think to worship God and what they've put on top. And so they are burdening the people, which you've already seen Jesus call them hypocrites. And Jesus has already rebuked them for this. But this is the seriousness of what we look at today of anyone who pursues religion, who has a religious heart and doesn't pursue righteousness found in Jesus Christ alone. It's so serious that we would see the truth about our hearts and how religious it is. So Jesus says it's not only okay, but it's the right thing to do on the Sabbath. And what's also important to know is that Jesus, when he teaches, he never, ever contradicts the word of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You see, what Jesus was teaching in that moment, he said, All that the law that was given, all that the prophets have written, he says, I've come to fulfill every single prophecy. I am the one who's come to fulfill the law and to, and to not abolish it. And so he is teaching what is right for the people of God to do here in this situation regarding the Sabbath. You think about the Old Testament. The Old Testament law. All that the people were to follow. Think about the sacrificial system. Think if we were underneath that this morning. And every single one of you paraded your different animal. And we had places up here. And we just slaughtered them. And blood is just flowing through the room. I mean this is the picture of what the people did. When they would go to the temple. They'd slaughter the lamb. They'd slaughter the bird. Whatever it may be. And the blood would flow. So that the person's forgiveness. Their sins could be covered over. But only for a period of time. And then you got to do it again. Imagine if we lived under that today and you paraded your animals in here and we slaughtered every single one of them. What a, man, what a dark picture to think that you'd still have to have something done because of your sin. Well, Jesus Christ, he's the ultimate sacrifice, the, the one and only, the one that brings an end to that sacrificial system because of what he did at the cross. And because of the cross and his sacrifice of his life, he becomes the true Sabbath for any who are found in Christ. Do you know that rest, true rest and true peace is only found in Jesus Christ, who is our true Sabbath? That rest and peace comes to no one who pursues religion. And so the true Sabbath is not just an observance of a day holy to God. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in a relationship with Jesus Christ, who's the Lord of the Sabbath, you're able to rest from work. You might say, hey, that sounds good. I don't want to work anymore. No, we're not talking about work at a job or school or whatever, but rest from religious works. Rest from you trying to do something good 
so that God would be pleased from you. This is the true sense of the Sabbath in Christ and the rest and the peace that's given to those who are in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, you could stop being religious. Amen? To think about that. In Christ, you can stop trying to earn your salvation by your good works because your good works are filthy rags and God's not pleased with any of them to save you. In Jesus Christ, we rest in his finished work at the cross. That in Christ, at the cross, he not only covered over our sins with his blood shed, but he removed our sins the picture of the word of the word of God where God throws our sins into the depths of the sea. This picture where God doesn't see it anymore because what happens as the Apostle Paul writes of it, it's like when you before Christ, you have this just cloak of death in the sense and all this sin. And when Christ shed his blood for you and he saved you by faith in him, that that old cloak is taken off and the righteousness of Christ, the holiness of Christ is put upon you. Therefore, when God the Father who adopts you as his son and daughter, he sees you, he sees the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of his son upon you. He no longer sees your sin. He no longer sees your works that you tried to do. He only sees Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. So it's important to remember or to be told for the first time, salvation in Christ is not about religion. It's all about redemption. And it's all about the work that Christ has done to redeem us from our sins. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. You need to read Hebrews. Specifically read Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 this week. The writer of Hebrews lays out specifically the history of the nation of Israel when you read through um, the Old Testament. And in chapter 3, when he's talking about the nation of Israel, they had been in captivity, uh, in slavery to Egypt, and God uh, put, put, poured out uh, numerous miracles and works of his hand that Pharaoh and the nation of, of Egypt saw, and God brought them out of the land and out of slavery. He says, I'm going to take you to a promised land, and he brings them to that point, and they don't go into the promised land. They disobey. And they wander in the wilderness. And God had said, you will find rest in this promised land that I have for you. But they chose to not just disobey, but to disbelieve God. And therefore, they were not able to enter the rest that God provided to them through the land that he prepared for them. But the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4 says that there is a rest available today. There's a rest available. And it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his 
Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Again, as I've already said, that rest for God's people today is found in Jesus Christ. The true Sabbath rest is found in Christ because he's done the work. There's no requirement on you to do the work. He's done it all at the cross in our place for our sins. And because of that, through our faith in him, in his resurrection from death to life, we can be saved and not only saved, but have rest in our souls for eternity. Think about the trouble in this world. Think about the problems that people have. Think about all the weight on your soul before coming to Christ. Think about those who are not in Christ and the trouble in their life. There is no rest apart from Jesus Christ. But yet for those who believe in Christ alone for salvation, finds true peace and finds true rest. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says this. Let us then... With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help those in time of need. In Christ, the rest that we have gives us the ability, the opportunity, the open door to come near to the throne of grace, to be close to God. For God to know us, for us to know God, for us to be in Christ, for Christ to be in us. And that freedom, that rest is found in him. As the worship team comes forward, the question is, is what do we do with this? What do we do with these wonderful truths that Jesus teaches us this morning? Again, I'd remind you of where we started, that religious hearts are worn out by imposing rules, while righteous hearts find rest in Jesus Christ. How do we honor the Sabbath? How do we honor the Sabbath? How do we do what's right according to the word of God? One of the things that every single believer needs to do is we need to stop. We need to rest and we need to worship. That every seven days we should take a day individually, corporately, as a family, And we should stop and we should rest in Jesus and rest in his wonderful word. And we should worship him. But we should also do what Jesus has taught us here is to not neglect showing mercy and compassion as well. Because I think sometimes we may be prone to rest and worship in God. And it's one of those things that we see a need. And it's like, I really don't want to go and do that today. But God calls his people to follow his example. Just as he healed that man that day, that we would be people who love others and show mercy and show compassion. And that we're not distracted by a set of rules. Father, I pray that we would would grow in our knowledge this morning of how you've called us to live. And Father, for the people of God in this room, I pray that they would be finding their rest in you today. 
that they would be rejoicing in the peace they have in their hearts because they're no longer seeking religion. Father, may you strengthen and encourage the believers here that they would be a light to the world who's watching them closely. And that each of us would give glory to you in everything that we say and do. Father, give us eyes and ears to see, to hear the people who need to be shown your mercy and compassion. And we pray that they would see you, the hope of glory in us. And Father, for any who are tired and worn out this morning, who are religious people, who have been seeking after a set of good works in their life, I pray that you would call them to you, that you would reconcile them, that you would save them, that you would redeem them from their sins, that you would give them the new life and the ability to believe in Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being the ultimate sacrifice for us. Thank you for being our Sabbath rest. Receive the praise from our lips. In Jesus' name.